Well, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you've been here very long, that I love Diet Pepsi. I mean, I just love it. And uh, my voice today is a, a little off, and so uh, what I thought I'd do is, is grab this one. Uh, but what, whoops. <laughs> and uh, Emily, we're going to need a towel. But anyway, uh, what I wanted to show you is this one is incredibly flat. Have you ever opened up a, a, a Pepsi can and you went, oh my gosh, it is just totally flat and it, it's not what you want it to be. There's no effervescence, there's no life, there's no excitement to it. It's missing everything you'd want. Uh, and so what I want to say is you kind of look at this outside package and you think, wow, there really ought to be something incredibly vivacious and, and, and fizzing and moving here, and there isn't, and it's disappointing. And I don't know if you've ever had that happen where you pop the can and all of a sudden there's no real pop to it, and, and so it's almost like the outside of the can lied to you. It didn't tell you the truth. Uh, so that one's kind of a goner. Uh, uh, even worse, what can, thank you very much, even worse what can happen is this. Now, you can see here that uh, uh, this is not what you'd want to have coming out of that can. Uh, when that begins to pour out of the can, then what happens is that, that it's really lied to you. And by the way, this is uh, actually green milk. And I said I wanted to have a picture of rotted green milk. Don't get too close to the podium today. It is rotted. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's horrible. And again, if you have a can like this and you pop it and the opposite, something very different comes out of it. Uh, you feel like there's a lack of integrity to this. It's a lie. It's disappointing. Now, why am I doing this? I think it's a fairly simple, but I think it's a very clear illustration of something. God's called us to be Christians, people who belong to him, people who live with him and for him. And whenever we on the outside portray ourselves to be people who are followers of Christ, if we don't live that on on the inside, and people begin to look beyond the surface. They begin to pop the tab. They begin to look inside. Then, then they, there's something incredibly wrong with that. Now, here's the thing. Even if you're brand new to all this or searching about it, thank you. Um, the reality is, is that you know uh, how disappointing it is when you bump into someone who claims to be a Christian and they don't live the life. We get very disappointed in pastors when they're exposed for immorality. We get very disappointed. Uh, in neighbors, when all of a sudden they have this vile outbreak of anger and you go, wait a minute, you're supposed to be a Christian. And all of us who are Christians, haven't you had people play that card on you before? Haven't you had someone turn and go, wait a minute, I thought you were a Christian. And, and you know, I know we're not perfect, but let me say it as clearly as we can. God wants us outwardly and inwardly to have integrity to who we are in our lives. He doesn't want us uh, to be flat and without a fizz and without excitement, without joy. Now, it doesn't mean life's always easy, but, but sometimes it's like we don't have this power and filling of the Spirit and this movement that almost causes us if it was shaken up to explode with joy and just flowing out in an amazing way. God certainly doesn't want this to occur. Where people start to look on the inside and it's just gross and horrible and incredible. And we go, wait a minute. And, 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 and we're, we're outwardly saying that there's this walk with the Lord. But inwardly, it's, it's ugly and it's bad and it's just not good. Uh, what God wants us to have, obviously, is that genuine Christian experience uh, that he wants us to have. And that's what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians. And if you turn with me to chapter 6, uh, we've been talking uh, uh, through this whole idea of what it really means to be a Christian. What it really means to live with him and for him. Um, 2 Corinthians is a letter written because Paul had had to admonish the Corinthians that they weren't being authentic. There was fighting in their midst. There was uh, 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 choosing sides. There was turning on each other. Uh, when they got together for worship, it just went out of control. 
Uh, there was pride. There was, there was a guy in the church showing up who was living in a sexual relationship with his mom. And Paul said, wait a minute. So Paul just in 1 Corinthians lays out all the problems and says, let's put it into this. And then after he does, he thought, how do they feel about me? I mean, I wrote this letter to them and it was a strong letter. Do they care about me anymore? Do they know I did it out of love? Did they not take it correctly? And then Paul gets a message back that says, no, they love you. And the changes are being made. And they care about you and they long to see you again. So Paul, because he can't get right to him, writes the second Corinthian letter where he tells them, praise God you're taking this seriously. And let me tell you about this amazing life that I know we get to live together. And if you were with us a few weeks ago, he says, it's a life where certain things just happen inside you. Uh, uh, faith gives birth to an unquenchable optimism. You just see everything as amazing. Uh, it, it brings forth unvarying success. In the end, you're always going to win. Uh, it, it causes you to live a life of having an undeniable impact of those around you. Things change because God's in you and working through you. And, and he says it's just an amazing life to live. He goes, but how could we possibly live a life so incredible constantly? He says, you know how you do it? You do it according to amazing grace. And a few weeks ago, Tony Wood spoke on that, and he talked about it's not by the works of the law or the letter of the law. It's the spirit of the law. It's the working of the Holy Spirit in you. It's grace, grace, grace. And the transformation takes place when we focus on Jesus. And the more we're living life with him, and the more we're focusing on him, we're transformed into his image. And then Paul says, but what I want you to grab hold of is, is you can't let this amazing promise, this amazing life become vanity to you. That's what we looked at last week. Don't, don't receive the grace of God in vain. And it's vain if the Spirit's not moving. It's vain if you're not letting God love you and live in you. It's vain if we're not sharing it with other people. And Paul said, that's why I'm telling you, don't, don't have something so incredible turn into something that you missed out on because I don't want you to miss out on this. And that's why he begins to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, he says, Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is opened wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained by your own affection. Now in like exchange, I speak to you as children. Open wide to us also. He said, you know what? I'm not trying to give you a set of rules. I'm not trying to hammer on you. I'm not trying to say it put you in a box. That, that's probably the, one of the great misunderstandings about what it means to be a Christian. I have people all the time go, oh, you're a Christian, so you can't do this. And it's like, you don't understand it's not what restrains me, what makes me say no. The can'ts in my life are all based on my affection for God. The reason I don't date, by the way, is because I love my wife, right? You know, if you walk up, go, oh, you married Pam, you can't date. I don't go, oh, what a bummer. You know, I, I shared that with you before, <laughs> you know? I, I mean, the, uh, you know, I, I can't murder if I'm gonna walk with Christ. Boy, what a bummer, I can't commit murder. You know, I mean, that's just, you know, it, it, why do I not wanna do these things? Well, because I love him. And he says, Paul says, do you, do you grab hold of what I'm saying? It's not trying to say, here's a list of do's and don'ts. It's about this amazing relationship you have with Jesus. And he says, I, I want to tell you, I opened my mouth freely to you out of affection for you. I shared my heart with you. What restrains you? I'm not trying to make it this kind of legalistic thing. What restrains you and guides you and guards you? It, it's your love. It's your love for Jesus and your love uh, 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 being loved by him. I shared this in, in Generate uh, a couple, few weeks ago, but um, I had a couple come in my office and sit down who were very seriously dating, and it wasn't here, it was in another church, and uh, they looked at me and they said, Chuck, 
They said, uh, we blew it. We, we went too far. What do we do? Do we need to break up? If, we, if that's what it would take to walk with Christ, then we're going to do it. But we just decided before we end it, we wanted to talk to you. And I said, well, that may be an option. I said, you may have to do that once you drop the barriers. And I began to talk to him about your relationship with Christ is more important than your relationship with each other. And you may have to let go of this to live a life of purity. And they said, well, is there anything we could do? And I said, well, let's just pray about it and, and, and really ask God to lead. And as we were praying, and I'm not saying like I got this voice or anything, but as we're praying, it hit me and I looked at him. I said, I got something for you to try. I want you to go to Home Depot and buy some nails and make sure they're pretty big nails and put them on a, 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 a necklace or on a piece of yarn and every time you guys are together, you make sure you're wearing those and make sure they're so big that when you hug, you can feel them and let those nails, as you put them on, say, Lord, I know that this nail symbolizes to me that you died for my sins and you died for the sin we committed before and I would never want to do that to you again. And so make sure every time you're hugging that you feel that pushing on each other. And then if you start to go further, you're going to have to take that nail that symbolizes what Jesus did and throw it aside and say it didn't matter. And the guy looked at me and said, I could never do that. And I said, well, that's the whole point, isn't it? It's a visible way of reminding you why we don't do this. And by the way, they, they tried it and it worked. The reason I want to make sure you know it's another church, so if you see someone wearing nails, you don't go, oh, it's you. you know, and... Uh, <laughs> But, but that's what Paul said. It's the affection. It's the affection. And then he says, because we have this affection, notice what he says next, starting in chapter 6, verse 14. Because you love God, he says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what is the agreement of the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God has said, I will dwell in them and I will walk among them. Notice the presence of God in our life he calls for. I will dwell in them, I will walk among them, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from their midst and be separate, be different. Be different, he says. Be, and the word separate has the whole idea of live a holy life, a, a different life, a separated life, a special life. And he says, come out from the midst of them and be separate, says the Lord, and... Do not touch what is unclean. And then it says, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, by the way, this is a bad, bad chapter separation. The next verse is so important to what Paul's saying. Therefore, having these promises, having the promise of God saying, I'll be in you. Having the promise saying, I'll walk among you. Having the promise of God saying, I want to be your father. I want to be your dad. I want to live life with you and for you. Having a promise of a God who loves and cares for you so much, he would adopt you. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. Did, did you grab what he said? He said, you know what? Why do we do this? We do it, number one, because we love the Lord and he loves us. We do it because he wants to have a real, true, powerful, intimate, passionate relationship with us. Uh, if someone said to me, all religions are the same, that answer is, by the way, they're not. I mean, any, anybody with any intelligence looks and says, you know, we have so many differences when you look at the major religions, there's, the similarities just begin to, to, to be minimized. But let me give you one of the biggest, biggest differences between the true message of Jesus and Christianity than any other religion, and it's Islam or Buddhism or, or, or Hinduism or even Judaism. Are you ready for what it is? is a message that God is a God of love 
and that he loves you with such passion, he wants to have a relationship with you that's real and intimate and, and true. That's not taught anywhere else. That's the message that, that all the other religions miss. And, and it's a huge one to miss because God says, I don't want you just to believe in me as a God out there. I want you to know me as your father. And, and he says, but for that to happen, you've got to have some things occur for us to have a great relationship. Uh, the first thing he says is there's got to be some separation. In verse 14, it says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. Now, we need to bring balance to this whole issue. We've got to grab hold of what it means. Uh, see, the reality is this. We've got to understand that Christ has said, I want you to be like me but I want you to be in the world, but not of the world. I don't want you to blend into the world. And remember, I said the whole idea is that we're supposed to, everybody who's, who knows we say we're a Christian, they expect something out of us. And when all of a sudden, what's inside is just like everybody else, there's a disappointment there. And, and Paul says, I don't want you to be like that. I want you to separate yourself. It doesn't mean we, we walk around acting superior. It means we're separate. We're different. We don't view things the same. We were made to stand out. And, and you know, I, I don't know if you ever saw a movie with Amanda Bynes. It was called What a Girl Wants. And in the movie, this guy looks at her because she's just doing everything she can to fit in. And he said this. He, I like this line. He looks at her and he says, why are you so trying so hard to fit in when you were made to stand out? You see, why do we try so hard to fit into the world around us when we're made to stand out? To be honest, let me ask you, don't you, all of you who are married, don't you want to have a marriage that's a Christian marriage versus a marriage like you see everybody else having? Don't we want to have families that are loving, caring families where where children know their dads and and know their moms? And, And don't we want that? For those of you who say, you know, I wanted all that, but... I had some horrible things happen. Some were my fault, some weren't. Don't you want to have a life today where you're just so amazed that God has taken that, that thing that was ugly and he's turned it beautiful? You see, we don't want to live life like everyone else. We want to live a life that's different. Uh, we want to live a life that, that's amazing. Now, now, there's a balance to this, though. Remember, we're in the world. We're not of the world. And the separation is more of a separation in how we live and how we choose things than it is from people. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 says this. I wrote to you in my letter. This is that 1 Corinthian letter. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. But I did not at all mean the immoral people of this world or with covetous or swindlers or with idolaters. For then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother who is an immoral person or covetous or idolater or reviler or a drunkard or a swindler not even to eat with such a one. Now, now I, I don't have time to delve into it completely, but did you just catch what he said? Paul said, you know what? I'm not saying to you, if you work in a place where there's non-Christians, to quit your job and walk away from them. He says, no, you want to be in their midst. It's not about isolation, by the way. And, and if you're new to all this, you may not like this term, but let, let's grab for all of us who are followers of Christ. It's not about isolation. It's about infiltration and infection. We, we go into the world to infiltrate it and infect it, not to be a part of it. We want to make a difference. And um, Paul said, I'm not telling you that if, you know, you go, oh, I can't have my Uncle Bob over because, man, he cusses up a storm. He says, no, I'm not telling you about Uncle Bob unless Uncle Bob claims to be a Christian. Then you look at him and say, I can't. I love you. I care about you. But if you're going to continue this lifestyle, there's going to be a difference between you and I. And I'm not saying I'm judging you or perfect, but come on. You know, a guy walks up and you find out that he's a brother in the Lord, but he's carrying on an affair. You go, dude, I'm not having you over. 
I actually had this happen one time. A guy was having an affair, and he wanted to talk with me. He said, can I bring my girlfriend? I said, no, unless your wife's there. He goes, well, I couldn't do that. I said, well, you shouldn't be doing this, period. But I'm not going to go eat with you guys. I mean, come on. And it's, it's just the reality. God says it's not about being judgmental. But, but wisdom says this. And so the issue is that we're not to blend in. We're not to blend in. Uh, I, for all of you who are police, I, I, don't, I think you'll grab this. And I don't know how this is a term that's used anymore. But I heard Bob Vernon, when he was the assistant chief of police of the Los Angeles Police Department speaking. And Bob said this. He said, beware of what he calls the bar room syndrome. And he said when he would be instructing young policemen who were uh, uh, working the day shift, and they would have to go into a bar after a suspect. He said he would always warn them when they enter that bar to move to a corner because going from that blinding light into that bar, they're not going to see well, and that's when they can get into trouble. He says, so what you do is you go in there till your eyes can adjust, and your eyes can, all of a sudden the darkness isn't so dark, and you can see in it. You know what he said, though? He says, Christians, I don't want you to do that. Christians, I don't want you to go into the darkness of the world and let your eyes adjust so now you see okay. Don't, don't do that. Don't allow that to happen. Don't descend into darkness. You've got to live a life that's different. And, and all over the word of God, we're called to do that. Jeremiah 15, 19 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will restore you. Before me you shall stand. And if you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesman. Now, now I, again, I know there's a danger of sounding judgmental. But it's, when we're in the world, there are precious things that we can grab hold of. And we can extract the precious from the worthless. But notice what it says next. They, for their part, may turn to you. But for, as for you, you must not turn to them. You will be in these relational situations or even in these uh, uh, activity situations. And it's okay to be there and extract positive things out of it. But he says, don't you ever find yourself turning to them and blending with them. You make an effect where they start to understand and move your direction. You make sure that you're the one infecting that situation and, and don't let that happen. That's God's great desire for us that we would understand it. Don't be bound. Don't be tied up with this. Don't be caught up with it. Uh, God's great desire is that we don't allow ourselves to be caught in those moments. And, and by the way, what he's saying is, I don't want you to act like, okay, I'm a Christian, but then you're living a life just like everybody else around you. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. By the way, this is our day and time he's talking about. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now notice verse five. But in the midst of all that is something that he ends with with a power punch. Holding to a form of godliness, although they deny its power, avoid such men as these. Who outwardly say, yeah, I am for real. But inwardly, they're just like everybody else around them. Lovers of self, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Greedy. God says, don't, don't be like that. Don't hold to a form. Okay, I came and I prayed today and I worshiped without really living it out. Don't just talk. Make sure you walk the walk. And that's what he's saying we need to do. And he says, you know what? You should live a life that's different. You should live a life that's incredibly separated. Now, if you've been listening, I hope it's locked in your mind. What is the motivation for this difference? The motivation is my love for God and your love for God. 
That's the motivation. But he says, don't be like everybody else. So Paul uses five rhetorical questions that we already know the answer to and to bring home the point that we need to be different. Notice he says in verse 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness. Now everybody knows you don't put righteousness and lawlessness together. You shouldn't have a partnership like that. Or what fellowship has light and darkness? That's impossible. Light and darkness can't coexist together. He says, I want you to understand how very different you and I are supposed to be. How about the next one? What harmony has Christ with Belial? Now, now, now here's the point. The word Belial is the whole idea. Uh, it, actually, the meaning of the word is kind of interesting. Worthlessness. It's taking something that could be incredibly good and causing it to have no value or worth whatsoever. But the word Belial actually became an idolatrous term and now is a term literally for Satan. He's the Belial one, and he has sons of Belial, sons of worthlessness. And, and, and what it's saying is this, you can't be a Christian and a Satanist. Wouldn't we all agree with that? I mean, you don't go, hey, you know what, on uh, Sundays, man, I worship at Crossroads, but on Saturday, man, I'm out down at the Church of Satan doing animal sacrifice. I, I, I think we'd say there's a problem with that. And, and you know, uh, the amazing thing is, is we've got to grab hold of God says, see, these just don't go together, and you need to understand that. You need to grab hold of it. He says, I don't want you to be caught up in that. And then notice his, he, again, I call this the power punch kind of thing again. What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? I, uh, one time, was talking to a particular person, and uh, they looked at me and they said, you know what, I just got to be honest, I have a hard time with Christians. And I said, well, you know what, I, I could probably let you go with that kind of a pat statement, but I, I got to tell you honestly, have you really met Christians then? Because when I get around Christians, I don't have a hard time with them. There are some people who are hurting and painful or immature in their faith. But man, when I get around an on-fire Christian, I don't understand how you have a hard time with them. They go, no, no, you don't understand. Man, I get along better with the people who aren't Christians than I do with Christians. And then I had to ask the question, then what one are you? What one are you? What is a believer in common with an unbeliever? How, how is that okay? Now, I'm not saying, should you get along with non-Christians? Yes, you should. But if you go, man, I really like it better, then there's something wrong here. And, and we need to understand, Paul is saying, we, we got to have commonality, unity. And, and maybe, maybe what's happened is people haven't experienced what it's like to be around people who just are so in love with God and so in love with others and so can't wait to do stuff to help people. Uh, uh, when I get around a group of people who are on fire for the Lord, man, I got to tell you, I just walk away going, God, this is awesome. I, the family we have, I just love watching it happen. Uh, we had a man come to our church, and I'm not going to use the, what happened last week, just so you know. And he came in very hurting because of what had happened in his past. What his father had done to him is atrocious. I mean, atrocious. And he just felt moved to come, and he called and said, would it be okay? He actually asked, would it be okay if I come to Crossroads? And we're like, come. Well, you know what was so cool is, is person after person loved on him. And, and this guy has some needs, and I looked over and I watched people here in this, this, this particular church family see this man's need and I watched people rushing to help him. It was almost like you got trampled trying to help somebody. Now, I don't know about you, I loved watching that. Well, when it's all done, he ends up giving his life to Christ last week. He, came, he said, I can't not be here. And uh, I said, well, you know, are, are you okay? He goes, I, I gotta tell you, he, I've never been in a place where I was so quickly loved and embraced and people wanted to listen to me. And want, when I watched that happen, I was like, wow. 
And God says, that's the kind of people we're to be. And he says, that's the kind of commonality we have. And, and we want to do this. We want to be a part of this. And he says, how could you not live in this kind of a setting and relationship? How could you not be bound together? And then he says, what, what does the temple of God and the temple of idols have in common? He goes, how could that be? See, in verse 16, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said to them, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, I, I'm, I'm actually starting to run out of time so I want to get a couple things in quickly. First of all, uh, I'm not going to read it but I'd love for you to mark down and read Ezekiel chapter 8. In Ezekiel chapter 8, it's an amazing thing that happens. Ezekiel is sitting there and he said he gets a vision of an angel who appears before him that is flames on the bottom and glowing out from the top of him, the waist up, and it's an amazing power. And this angel reaches out and grabs him by the hair and lifts him off the ground. <laughs> That's a vision, isn't it? And he says that the angel looked at him and he said, God wants me to take you to see the, the idol of jealousy. Now, that's a very interesting term. And what happens is he carries him to the, the outside of the temple area. And Ezekiel shocked because in the very temple of God, an idol has been set up. And people are worshiping it. And, and Ezekiel, man, his heart turns and churns. And he can't believe it's happening. He says, it's worse than this. And he grabs him and he flags him over. And he brings him to a wall. And he says, notice the wall's brittle. The wall should be hard and strong. But things have pierced through. He says, break through the wall. And he breaks through the wall and goes inside. And there the priests are worshiping idols and things other than God. And God says, I can't be here. This idol of jealousy, this just kills me. This tears me up inside that they're doing this. I can't be with this. And he says, my glory is going to depart. Now, now, if you haven't caught it, you and I are the temple of God today. This, this church is a building. God says, where I don't want to dwell here, I want to dwell in you. I want to live inside of you. And, and when you think about that, the Lord says, are you treating your body in a way where you're not having all these things inside, thoughts and, and priorities and passions that would cause me to be angry and hurt? And by the way, I want to stop there. You know, it's amazing. As powerful as God is, he loves you so much you can hurt and grieve him. And he says, I don't want those inside you. I don't want you living like that. I, I, I love you and I want you to love me and I want to do things in you. And, and he says, I want this to occur. Matthew 21, verse 12, it says that temp Jesus is coming to the temple and you probably know it really well. It says, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the table of the money changers and the seat of those who were selling doves. Now, by the way, the idea of buying and selling, you need to quickly understand wasn't wrong. They were supposed to buy and sell in the temple. What it was is they were doing it in dishonest ways. It was okay to go to the temple and buy a sheep to do a sacrifice. What they were doing is they were ripping people off and they were saying, oh, the money you want to give to God's not good enough. We have to do an exchange and they were tearing into people. There was so much dishonesty to this practice. You would walk in with your sheep and they go, oh, your sheep's not good enough so we'll take your sheep and we'll sell you another one and then when you leave they would sell the very sheep to someone else and he, so that was the problem and he said Jesus looked at it and said that's it and he was so upset he drove he cleansed it he goes you can't live this way and then he says this it says and he said to them it is written my house shall be called a house of prayer but you are making it a robber's den you're making it a den of thieves and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna, son of David, they became indignant. Now, I, again, I'm going to kind of rush, but I want you to grab some things. 
First of all, before Jesus would do any miracles, what did he have to do? He had to cleanse the temple. And, 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 I, and he said, you know what? You've made my temple a robber's den. You've made it a den of thieves. And when I read that the very first time, I, I knew enough to know I was the temple of God. And I sat back and asked this question. Am I a pure temple or am I a robber's den? Am I a den of thieves? What's inside of me? What's in me? Now, I know nobody can be perfect, but we've got to try to perfect holiness, it says. And when the Lord looks at me, he says, Chuck, you're supposed to be in my temple. What's that doing in there? Then I got to go, God, I want to get rid of it. I I want it to go. I've been reading a book by Richard Foster. It's called Prayer. Uh, Off the chart, great book on just how to pray in different ways. Let me read something to you out of that book that just blew my mind. It says this. It talks about when you encounter God in ways that shake you. I hope you've had power experiences with God, and I have, and I hope you have too, because he wants to have them with you, where you enter his presence in such a way, or maybe he reveals his presence in such a way that you step back and you're going, oh my. Like if someone said, do you ever doubt God? I gotta be honest, not that I'm not trying to put anybody down here. I do not doubt God because I've encountered him too many times I can't. And those doubts go away. Well, well, listen to what Foster said because something lit up inside me. He said, we emerge from such soul-shaking, love-invaded times forever changed. We have swung like a needle to the pole star of the Spirit. Never again will any ordinary goodness do. No half measures will suffice. We are consumed by a relentless, inexorable, divine standard of holy obedience. He says, you know what, when you encounter God like that, it blows you away so much that you just can't be the same anymore. Now, now, here's where I want you to think this through with me. The light went on. Uh, uh, Some who are here today, and I'm not again trying to be demeaning, and, and I'm really trying to say this right. Some of you, you're saying, you know, I've never had an experience like that with God. Well, I want to tell you, God does love you. But let me tell you why you haven't had that experience. Because he knows that if he has it with you, that now you'll have to start being obedient. You can't get into it. That's true. When you've had those moments, you walk away going, I just want to do everything for God. I want everything to be his. I don't want to hold back. I want And you know why God's not going to have that experience with you? Because he wants you to do it out of love, not because you have the experience. So you have to, here's my point. If you want to experience God in powerful ways, you've got to choose out of love to want to please him, and be with him first. Why, did you know, don't you agree, if God appeared here today, and, and, and don't you think that we might go out and live a little differently? If all of a sudden, like he did the children of Israel, this place starts shaking, and it's not the Elsinore quake, it's God, and he shuts, and the angels block the doors so you can't run out, and he steps and goes, I am real. Don't you think you might go, okay, that's it, sold out? By the way, don't you think that everybody here who's kind of questioning if there's a God, don't you think you'd go, okay, I'm in? Do you know why God doesn't do it? Are you ready? Number one, he says we can't see him and live, but he has revealed his glory at times. But number, here's why God doesn't do it. He doesn't want you to fall in love with him for his outward beauty. He, the reason we work the way we do, the reason God just doesn't appear in the north sky at night going, earth, obey me, is because he wants you to fall in love with him, not for his power, although he's powerful, not for his glory, although he's glorious. He wants you to fall in love with him and live for him for who he is. And the reason some Christians don't have these amazing experiences is because the temple inside is filled with half-hearted commitment. You're not totally sold out. 
The truth of the matter is you go, okay, I believe in God and I'm going to go to heaven. And by the way, let me say this, you probably are. But you're going to miss out on what it's like to interact with him now, to live the life you could. Some of us, if we got honest, go, I don't really want it. Because if I totally sell out for God, it's going to change me completely. And by the way, it will change you completely. And I can promise you this, and again, I'm not trying to say I'm perfect. I would much rather be living the life I am passionately excited about Christ than the old one. But back then, I didn't realize how good this one would be. And the only way to really know is to let God begin to do this in you. So Jesus comes into the temple and he cleanses it. And after he cleanses it, the miracles happen. Did you notice that? First the cleansing, then the amazing power of God revealed. And then what came next was praise. And you know what came next? Are you ready? Complaint. By the way, I want to tell you something. If you start living a life sold out for God and God starts moving, people start complaining. I, I, I really believe this. I think God is beginning to do some things here that are just him. I actually not beginning. He's been doing it for a while. And, and here's the thing I've noticed. On the days and the times he does the most is when we get the most complaints. You know? Uh, one week we had 40 people come forward. And I, I had people go, oh, the music was too loud. I'm like, what? That room's filled. <laughs> people are crying. Lives are, okay, maybe we could turn them. Why would that be your focus? Uh, there's always going to be that. Because I think there's this pricking that happens. And God's saying, hey, how come you're not sold out about this? How come you're not passionate? How come you're not excited? And he goes, I'm not going to just do it for you. you got to choose to do this with me. That's God's great desire. And so we choose to live this sold-out life with him and for him. Uh, A person, when we talk about all-out commitment, is uh, Jim Elliott and his wife Elizabeth. Uh, Some of you have seen the movie The End of the Spear. Uh, Jim Elliott's a key person in that movie. What happened is Jim was a a, a literally all-American wrestler who just decided he wanted to to go reach people who no one else knew about uh, uh, in in the world. He wanted to reach unreached people groups. And so he trained for that. He committed to it. And he he, he went and they killed him. I mean, they literally, he he didn't get a chance to share. He was walking in hoping to share Christ with this group of people and they murdered him. And, and what came out of that was amazing. And I won't go into all the story, but let me tell you what preceded it. Uh, uh, Elizabeth Elliot hits college, a young freshman, wanting to just do great things for God. She's at this wonderful Christian college. And, and of course, it's not wrong. She also is wondering if God will bring the man of her dreams. And she meets Jim Elliot on day number one and falls for him. He couldn't walk into a room, and she just found herself just melting. And she kept saying, please, please don't let it show. But she said, he, she would always have like this smile, like quit smiling so much when he's here, you know. And, 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 and they would laugh and talk and she started to get to know him. And, but all the girls loved Jim. He was big, strong, passionate. Well, then they started doing these work trips into the inner city of Chicago. And, and there were lots of times they were working together and that's when they really got to know each other. And then because of a particular trip they were on, they got separated and the bus left and he comes walking out and he goes, they left us. It's like a, 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 a multi-mile walk, like 15 miles to the campus and that's the only way back because this is before cell phones. So he's laughing and they start walking and talking and, and as they're going along, he, he all of a sudden gets serious and he said, Elizabeth, I gotta tell you that you bring uh, the, maybe the deepest pain of my whole life to me and she stopped and went, What? She goes, how could that be? And he said, well, you know I love you, don't you? She said, no. <laughs> he said, Elizabeth, I think I loved you from the moment I met you. 
but there's a problem. And she goes, what could be the problem? He goes, God's calling me to South America and God's calling you to China. And we got to obey God. And I want you to know, I actually sat and thought about switching to China, but I think God was saying, what do you love more? And, and so I can't, and I'm not going to ask you to. And she said, Jim, I didn't even know there was this between us. And he goes, there is. And so they, they began to talk, and they went and sat on some grass, and they began to talk together. And, and the hours start slipping by as they talk about their passions, their hopes, their dreams, God's calling in their life. And he said, well, you know what? Let's pray about this. And so they, they bowed their heads and shut their eyes, and he led this prayer. She said she'll never forget word for word she remembers as he just said, this is all for you, all for you, all for you, God. We love you so much. We would just do whatever you say, even if it means not being together. God, we just want to live live our lives completely devoted to you. And he said, amen. And she looked up. She's crying. He's crying. And they both gasp because they didn't realize that they had sat down in a park that was next to a graveyard. And the moon had come out and hit a cross and the shadow of the cross was literally right there perfectly on the ground with each of them sitting on each side of it. And, and she said, by the way, that tells you how far apart they sat, you know, to be careful. And, um, and he looked at her and he said, you know what? Our lives are always gonna be lived in the shadow of the cross. Wherever God takes us, whatever he wants us to do, together or apart, she said, me too. Always in the shadow of the cross. And uh, that's, that's what we do. That's how we live. Sold out completely. Jesus gave everything on that cross for me. He gave everything on that cross for you. I want to ask you, should we give him anything less than all of us? Never. And I want to say this. This will maybe even bother some of you. Some of you here, you may be going, well, okay, honestly, I don't know if I am. He still loves you. He, he does. And he has so much more for you. And uh, uh, if you aren't totally his, it's time to be. You'll never be sorry. Now, for some of you, it may be an amazing change, but you'll never be sorry. Some of you, it'll be an amazing healing. And for some reason, that pain's been just so embedded in you, you have a hard time letting go, but you'll never be sorry. For some of you, you got questions. Why don't you just throw yourself into his arms? You know, there's an, the evidence is there. The question is, are you ready to take that leap of faith that Kierkegaard talked about where you just throw yourself in the arms of God and say, here I am. And by the way, if you're not sure how you enter this relationship, let me tell you, it's by talking to him. It's by praying. And right now, if you need to commit your life to Christ to enter this relationship, if you want to, what you need to do is just tell him. Say, I, I, Lord, I'm in. And, and then what we're going to do right now is we're going to pray, and I always do this every week. I'm going to invite everybody here who wants to either commit their life to Christ or recommit. I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to whisper this prayer with me. And, and God individually will hear you. Some of you are going to feel God stirring you, wanting you to do it. Some of you, you're just going to want it on your own. But I'm going to ask in this time, in a few minutes, if you really, really want to have an intimate relationship with our Father who loves you, would you pray the prayer with me? Let's pray together. Father, I really know that we are called to live lives that are different. That on the outside, what we say we are, and on the inside, who we say we are is the same. And I know our weakness, our frailties, our imperfections. But God, you've called for us to seek to perfect holiness and to be different. May we be all out consumed with a love for you and a life for you. 
May we live it in such a way, Lord, that we shine as lights in a dark world and we bring love in places of, of hurt and pain. May we do it in ways, Lord, that are humble and never with attitudes of superiority. But God, may we do it. May we really do it. And may we experience you, Lord. May we experience your love, experience your movement, experience you doing things in our lives. And Father, right now, I ask that your Holy Spirit come. And I pray, Lord, that you would help anyone here who needs to commit their life to you or recommit their life to you. I pray you would touch them and stir up on them and move in them. And I pray right now would be the day that they would either for the first time say they want to be yours. Or maybe it's someone who just, it's time, Lord, for them to say they're going to let go of the past or, and they're going to come back to you or they're going to let go of some things they're going to come back. I want to ask that we keep praying. But I want to ask you to do this right now. If you're right with the Lord, would you pray for those who need to make this decision? And today, if you would like to really enter this relationship with God, I know it seems so simple. I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to pray this prayer with me, just to whisper the words. So if you're ready for this, he loves you, wants you. Just, just, I want you to whisper this prayer. Just say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross because you love me and you gave everything so I could be forgiven and cleansed so you could heal my hurts and pains so you can make me new. And I want that. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit. Please help me be who you've always created me to be and to live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.